Ladies and gentlemen, the spectacular Spider-Man! Face it, Tiger. You just hit the jackpot. Otto Octavius was weak. Call me Dr. Octopus! From now on, we're poison to Peter Parker and Spider-Man. Welcome back to another episode of the Spectacular Radio. I'm Zach Joyner, the executive producer of the Spidey Dude Radio Network. And of course, I'm always joined by Mr. Greg Bashanti. Greg, introduce our panel for this time. Oh, it would be my pleasure. Joining us again is Kristen Zanero, who has been absent for a while. Hi, guys. And I'm very pleased to see that we have with us again the uh, talent coordinator of Season 2, Jennifer L. Anderson. She hasn't been with us in a while. She's been busy in Impala chasing down monsters, vampires, demons, and all sorts of things. Yep, that's me. <laughs> Hi, guys. And joining us again is, as usual, the the supervising producer and story editor of the show, Mr. Greg Wiseman. Hello, everyone. And introducing to this show for the first time, the director of this particular episode, Sheer Strength, Mrs. Miss Jennifer Coyle. Hi there. And it's a pleasure to have you all here, especially for this seminal episode that um, adapts one of the most uh, iconic moments, not just in Spider-Man comics, but in all of comics, period. But, Ms. Coyle, since you're joining us for the first time, tell us how you got the gig on Spider-Man and what is your history with the character? Oh, gosh. Actually, I think uh, Spider-Man was one of the only comics I read when I was in high school that wasn't Vertigo. Um I, I really liked the story from, you know, the very start. And I always found Spider-Man to be very accessible, um, you know, like it's because it was a lovely combination of action and romance and story. And I that's what I particularly found um, compelling about Spectacular Spider-Man was the character relationships as well as the kick-ass action. It was just a little bit of everything. So um, when they asked me if I wanted to do it, I was super excited. And this episode featured, I remember at the time this episode was airing, you did an interview, I think it was for Toon Zone, I'm not sure, sure, and you described Doc Ock as your evil boyfriend. He's so cute. I watched it last night, and I still think he's cute. I can still draw him. My eyes closed. <laughs> it's a great character design. In fact, watching the, that episode last night just reminded me how much I loved that show and um, and how good the designs all were and how great it all looked. Wonderful. It was a very beautifully put-together show. You, Cheeks, Vic, and the rest of the art gang made it stunning to look at always. So and, true. And we have a couple of artists on on the line, we've got Jennifer and Kristen here, and um, I admit I'm not the most artistically inclined person, so I think they would be better, more qualified to ask intelligent uh, questions about the directing and, process. And I can't draw a straight line with a straight edge, so you know we'll, we'll leave it to the professionals over here. 
We'll teach you. Don't worry, honey. <laughs> Straight lines are overrated. Well, I always keep saying well, I'm a revolving door, so who cares? <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right, so um, in this case, I'll fire the next question to Mr. Wiseman. Greg, the Master Planner story is one of the most iconic in Spider-Man his- history. What would you say was your... What did the story mean to you? How did you go about adapting it? Did you know you wanted to do this? Did you know you want, wanted to do the story since day one? Um, pretty much. I mean, we I broke the whole first season before we started, but we had some pretty clear ideas for season two pretty early on. Um, you know, we were doing this sort of you know three to four episode mini arcs within our 13 episodes seasons. And um, so we planned this one to use the master planners, this sort of mysterious uh, figure to sort of get us into Mysterio as a villain and Craven as a villain, and then um, do another pass at the Sinister Six. Um, and, uh, and then you know, pull out all the stops with the last one of the four. And as you mentioned earlier, the key thing is that that moment was Spider-Man, you know, under all that wreckage um, and about to drown and ready to give up. Now, in the comics, it's Aunt May that he realizes he can't give up because of, and we made it a more immediate threat to Gwen. Um, and that became part of, you know, his feelings for her and advancing their relationship um, and also giving Gwen a chance to kind of be proactive after, you know, after her life's been saved, she then has to sort of return the favor and save uh, his life as well because he's just out of it at the end. Um but we wanted that moment under the wreckage. And I remember Dick and Jennifer and I sitting down and pulling out the old comics and looking at it and going, we wanted to look as much like this as we can manage. And I'm really proud uh, with how it turned out. It turned out really great. And Jen, Jennifer Anderson, this is, this is, we're now, now in season two. I think at this point you were doing talent coordinating, wrangling all of the, cast members how was that how fun was that (laughs) that's that's always fun (laughs) i mean especially when you have a cast like this every single one of them is just absolutely amazing um uh crispin and i are old friends and i absolutely loved his electro and what a big whoopee he was and um peter mcnichol as doc ock was just phenomenal he was absolutely um a treat to work with on every level. So they, I, again, it was, it's a dream cast. They all were fantastic. Everybody did 110 percent, and and they were just amazing. I well, it's a big cast too because uh, I counted last night after I watched it. You know, I counted, and there's 16 actors in this episode, and they have to squish them into one little room. <laughs> um, and some of them, like bringing in Greg Delisle, who's now Greg Griffin, just to play Stephanie Briggs, like, and it was great. But we, uh, 
that would be uh, sort of a uh, luxury expense in this day and age. Um, you know, to take a new character who's pretty minor, Phil Fogerbach is Morris Bench, and um, Gray is Stephanie Briggs, and, um, you know, it's one thing when you bring these people back, but usually you'd cast them from among your regulars, and then also just bringing in people who only have a handful of lines. I mean, it was a big part for a number of people here, but, you know, Flash is in there for a few lines. Liz is in there for a few lines. Norman's in there for a few lines. Mary Jane's in there for a few lines. Donald Mankin's in there for a few lines. I don't know who the hell thought we should bring him in for just that two or three lines that he had. Someone must have really liked the actor. One of the uh, one of the episodes <laughs> one of the episodes we had Alan come in just to say the word no. Yeah, that that was significant though. That was that was very intentional, but 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 uh, but I was sort of a, amazed here with how many characters are in this episode who only have a handful of lines, and, uh, and I think it's great, by the way, don't get me wrong, um, but it, it felt so luxurious yes, last night watching it. The, the only two that weren't there that the first time we recorded were uh, Deborah Strang and uh, Robert England. We, they had to do pickups for them. And um, this is worth mentioning, Robert England's last appearance on the show, and damn, he was memorable. He was fantastic. Totally. The the perfect vulture, although that Michael Keaton guy did a pretty good job this past summer, too. <laughs> oh, just the casual drop of Michael Keaton there. I, I see where that went. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, M- Michael Keaton was fantastic also, but, but when I think of the vulture, I think of Robert England, probably now and forever. <laughs> I just think of Robert England, and I'm happy either way. He scares me in my nightmares, though. Yeah, if you're having nightmares about Robert England, <laughs> that's not a restful night at all. He's done his job if you're having those. Exactly. True yeah. statement. So, um, Jennifer, to Jennifer Coyle, there are so many little touches in this episode that leap out at me, like, was the evil genius coffee mug you or Greg? <laughs> I think that was me. That was definitely you. And definitely the sign on the coffee machine that, that reminds you to clean up after your nest. We had that sign in our kitchen at Sony where we were making this, so we immortalized it there. Remember? They had strict rules over there. Yeah, I can see Doc Ock is a bit of a neat freak. <laughs> he, uh, it was so much fun. Yeah, I was telling Greg um, a story about uh, I gave the teaser to a friend of mine to Storyboard, and uh, she had it for weeks and weeks, and she was really busy, and she kept saying, "I'm almost finished. I'm almost finished," and I had to go drive over to her house and pick it up finally. And her her infant child had cut it up with scissors. And uh, so we ended up having to panic reboard it at the last minute. A lot of this came back to me watching that episode last night. Oh, it sounds like something my daughter would do. She's five. Oh, my God. <laughs> In fact, she has done yeah. just some of my own work. <laughs> it's, it's an artist thing, though, I think. <laughs> well, at least there aren't millions of dollars I'm, on the line. 
I'm I'm speaking as an artist. It's an artist thing. <laughs> Uh, I don't. I don't have kids. They, they cause chaos. This is why. <laughs> you live vicariously through me and Jen. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and, and Zach at this point too. <laughs> yep, Zach do now. <laughs> All right. So, um, Greg, this is not a question I actually asked you last month, but unfortunately, some of the audio got clipped. It wasn't workable. But it applies to this episode too. Describe how you write these groups of villains together. I love these dynamics. I mean. These characters work together. They're not necessarily backstabbing one another, or in this case, backstabbing one another at all. I mean, you write villains that work really well as a unit between this and Young Justice with the light. Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the things that I got tired of seeing in cartoons, even cartoons that generally speaking I liked, was that, you know, in order to make the threat more significant, to the heroes that, you know, after you've beaten a villain once or twice or whatever, and, and you're like, okay, we've beaten these guys, so how do we make it seem, still seem impressive? It's like, well, but if they've got to face all of them, or if they've got to face this group of villains together, that's great. Then what I'd see a lot is, you know, well, but the heroes aren't winning. The villains are so villainous or so selfish or so whatever that they, in essence, defeat themselves, and the hero's only job is and, it, and I don't even think the writers are conscious of it, but what winds up happening often is that the hero's only job really is to stall until the villains ultimately sort of self-destruct. And to me, that's just not fun. Although, to be fair, we did it a little bit in this episode. Um, not with them infighting, but in essence, Spidey's being smart. He knows that uh, Electro has a temper. He knows that Electro is a, sort of obsessed with being called Electro and not being called Max. Um, and so he goads this guy and goads this guy until uh, um, Electro just keeps blasting away. And um, But, you know, prior to that moment, part of it is is just sort of letting each of the villains sort of actualize their own motivation. So, you know, Vulture's motivation is still, I want to kill Norman Osborn. So obviously, um, Otto gets that and tries to help him out. doesn't quite work out because Spider-Man intervenes, but Vulture's attitude isn't, well, you failed in helping me kill Osborn, so I hate you now. You know, his attitude is, Hey, we tried, and we'll get to it eventually. Meanwhile, you've got a master plan here. I'm happy to help. I trust you. You're my friend. You've been my friend for a long time. And Max still really looks up to, that is, Electro really still looks up to uh, Ock. And uh, Tinker, I get the feeling, is a little more of a mercenary, but he at least can respect Otto's uh, scientific acumen and that kind of thing. So... The four of them make a good team. It's by the same lights that, you know, you put Ox and Ricochet and Shocker together. You know, in other words, not every villain's going to gel with every other villain, but you find the right motivation or you find the right groupings and they make a pretty good team for each other. Yeah, I love the Vulture and Ock partnership. I've loved since the beginning of this of this show, well, ever since watching these episodes, they weren't really partners much in season one, but, um, except for that Sinister Six episode, but I just, 
I like villainous friendships. You don't see them too often. Especially in cartoons. Yeah, you know, if you're consistent with their motivations, you can often find times when they just gel with each other. Indeed. And um, I suppose we need to talk about that big, iconic moment with Spidey lifting all of the debris. I mean, this it's one of the most iconic moments in all of comic books, to, period. And I think um, I think this is the first Spider-Man cartoon to ever do it, although the comics do it once every two years, it feels like. It was gorgeous, just watching the way his suit ripped as all his muscles exerted, lifting all the debris. That was beautifully done. Well, thank you. I was so excited to see it in the recent Spider-Man movie. I just saw that this last weekend. There was a little homage to that. He was trapped underneath. I'm sure you maybe you guys covered this already, but I heard that the, the, the first shocker in that movie was the same voice actor who played... That's what... No, not in our show. Really? No, maybe in another show. Yeah. No, no, yeah. no. Our shocker is there were two shockers in the movie. One is Herman Schultz, and the other one was Montana. Really? Okay. Yeah. I've got my wires. Yeah, so Spectacular Spider-Man is living on. <laughs> so they used... So the second one was Montana? I think so, The yeah. first one. The, oh, first the first one was Montana. The oh, second the one was Herman. Uh, yeah, one of, one of the other. I, I, I haven't seen it since it's come out on, uh, on Blu-ray and DVD, but, um, but I'm pretty sure... Actually, Greg, you're... Shansky, you're right. It was the the second one. I'm sorry, because Herman did get iced. Don't feel bad. You haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen it at all. I'm a terrible human being right now. <laughs> it was good, <laughs> but um, that but that moment was just in the show. I mean, the only criticism I've ever heard of it was that it wasn't long enough. I believe it was like 20 pages in the original comic. Although I had to explain to this person the meaning of run times and content for uh, TV shows. Yeah, I mean, it it was challenging to get the feel of it just right. I mean, it was boarded wonderfully. Animation was pretty good, but we really worked that moment in post to sort of make it feel, uh, give it the weight we needed it to, I mean, I, I don't mean like the emotional weight, I mean, that too, but the to make that debris when he's throwing it off really feel heavy. It, it's more challenging than it looks in animations and to really give something like that a sense of weight. Nice. So, uh, Jennifer Coyle, how did you approach, I mean, can you explain the process of directing an episode like this when you get the script? How, how do you approach it? Well, on uh, Spectacular Spider-Man, it was cool because uh, we read the episode and then you go through and you make little notes. Um you know, and then we always had a handout meeting. So Greg and Vic and I would get together and talk about, and, and the writer of the episode would get together and talk about um, what, you know, they The writer expected. of this episode was Randy Jan, mm-hmm. who was also our uh, able-bodied uh, script coordinator and writer's assistant and jack-of-all-trades. Uh, he was magical. Uh, yeah. He did great. Randy was in Colorado, probably right next door to you, Jen, for all I know. (laughs) I hear it's a really cool state now that I live here. (laughs) You're hiding in your basement, aren't you? (laughs) 
well, anyway, we would go through the scripts and, um, and talk about things. And I, re- I remember one of the things that I was concerned about is uh, Commissioner Gordon, you know, Captain Stacy. Captain Stacy. <laughs> I'm sorry. I've, I've been on DC Girls forever, and I'm getting my people mixed up. Which um, my daughter loves you for, by the way. She's actually wearing her Batgirl hoodie right now. <laughs> oh, that's so nice. Excellent. Captain Stacy, though, I'm so sorry. I was concerned that he'd have all that information in a in a you know thumb drive. I think I had just learned how to use thumb drives at the time, and I was like, uh, wanted to make sure that he had it in a way that he could could hold off the information until the last minute before dispersing it to the world. So uh, I remember talking about that at our meeting. <laughs> it's been a while. This is my first podcast, everybody. Well, well I hope we're nice to you. <laughs> oh, you're fine. DC, Marvel, we love it all. <laughs> I mean, Commissioner Gordon... Gordon, uh, Captain oh. Stacy, they, they fill they fill similar roles. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> they're kind of yeah, they're very similar. <laughs> Single fathers with law enforcement, yes, the whole thing. Yeah. Sorry about that. So <laughs> Captain St- Captain Stacy is way hotter than Commissioner Gordon. Agreed. Firmly agreed. Agree. Yes. And and probably smarter too. He actually figures out who Spider Man is. <laughs> If you don't think Commissioner Gordon has known forever and just doesn't say anything, you're crazy. He knows. <laughs> I suppose it depends on which version of Commissioner Gordon we're looking at this oh, That's true. That's <laughs> true, too. Uh, honest. I mean, Cap- Captain Stacy, there have been less versions of Captain Stacy, which makes him a little bit more special than, to me anyway. I mean, there was the original comic, there was this show, and then I think there was Dennis Leary. He hasn't been done in as many adaptions nearly as much as almost any other character. I mean, Captain Stacy is still fairly obscure. And everybody go silent. Hello. <laughs> but, well, I'm not going to argue with him. That was, it's, it's true. He is pretty... No, he was spot on. It was just that moment of dead air. I'm like, no, no, we can't have this. <laughs> that's, why we had, that's why I said it. Oh, no, this is yeah, funny. <laughs> but um, but there's there's so many great moments in this episode. I suppose we should talk about Peter's indecisiveness because he d- makes a choice, or maybe he has a choice forced upon him that's kind of going to haunt him for the rest of the season. He didn't make no choices. Called girl kiss done. Yeah, I gotta so tell indec- you, the end of this episode. I watched it again and I forgot how much it broke my heart. For poor Gwen, <laughs> the end of it. Oh, the mighty feels, and you just want to give Gwen all, all the hugs, all the feels, all the feels. Uh, one thing I should say, since we've got her here, um, the look, Gwen's look, like we talked about Gwen's look. Don't give me the look uh, uh, for like episodes before we actually showed it, and then when we were, it came time to show it. It's Jennifer who uh, Coyle who came up with the look <laughs> that you know that it had to pay off the way we built it up verbally. Up it had point. to be epic. Mm-hmm. The uh, classic 
when just look. No one wants to get the look. No one. Right. Nope. <laughs> I love that moment here where her father's like, don't you give me the look. Um, <laughs> I, I own that myself, so I, it came from within. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, I mean, we wanted that sort of Peter's story in general, which is that, um, you know, not the sharpest uh, relationship tool in the shed, let's put it that way, but also it was one of the things we wanted to get across from moment one. I mean, one of the first things I pitched on the show was that Peter Parker was madly, passionately in love with whatever girl happened to be standing in front of him at any given moment. Um, and the idea that we built to through the season, which I'm sure we'll talk about more as we get through more episodes, is that, yeah, Gwen is the one, but he's 16 and loaded with hormones, and he's a jerk. He's not an active jerk. He's not trying to be a jerk. He's not a bad guy. He just is really easily distractible. So you, so I love the conversation with Mary Jane and Gwen earlier in the episode where um, she's like, look, I shouldn't tell you this, but you're all he thinks about, well, when he thinks at all, you know. Uh, and that's the problem is he's not always thinking. So, you know, Liz is standing in front of him saying, hi, Petey, he gets a little moony over Liz, you know, but it, so it takes him a while to sort of get his head on straight. It takes him sort of talking to from Aunt May and, and to sort of get him to focus on, you know, what really matters to him. But I found that... Um, very real, you know, that he's not supposed to be a mature 25-year-old Peter Parker who um, you'd expect better behavior from, frankly. He's a dumb kid on that level. And that that was what was so satisfying to, to story uh, storyboard and to show, like, the emotions playing between these kids and the inner, I don't know, part when. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Gwen, indeed. And like I said, this is not going to lead anywhere good. And the funny thing is, I remember this episode ending, and I felt pretty antagonistic towards Liz when it, when the episode ended. And then, as the season progressed, that feeling vanished pretty quickly because Liz ends up putting a lot into this. Yeah, she's a pretty good girlfriend. I mean, she doesn't get, um, you know, when he has to leave for work, she doesn't freak out about it. She doesn't say, well, this is, you're not focusing on me enough. I mean, when she starts to get upset with him, it's because she legitimately, and she's not wrong, perceives that he's got feelings for another girl. And and he's the one who keeps coming back and saying, no, no, I'm really sorry, give me another chance. But it's, you know, her jealousy is justified. Um, now, one could argue that being the case, she should just get out of the relationship. But um, uh, I think she's pretty well justified for... But he's a dumb 16-year-old. Yeah. He's a dumb... Yeah, he's a dumb 16-year-old, so, yeah, he probably should get out of the relationship, but he's not going to because he's, he's dating the cheerleader. He, he hit the high school jackpot. I don't. I don't mean him. I meant her. 
Oh, sorry. Is yeah. I mean, he should too because he's in love with the other girl. But uh, she should have dumped him sooner, frankly. But she was into him and liked him. And but what I liked about her was that she didn't get mad at him for dumb stuff, for stuff that he couldn't control. It, it wasn't a whole lot of pay attention to me, Peter. Yeah. Nope. Having no. been that dumb 16-year-old girl that didn't know when to walk away, yeah, that, that was quite realistic. I mean, and also look at her at the beginning of the episode kind of waiting on Flash hand and foot, not just this one, but the last episode, too. I mean, and they're already broken up, and she's still all over him here. Yeah, See, I mean, and I... I... Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Well, I mean, you know, she sort of says it at the end. She'll always care about Flash. She was an important part of her life. She lost her virginity to him. Um, whatever. Uh, but, uh, Did she? Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but, you know, so, you know, when he was hurt, she cared about him. But that's not who she wants to be with right now. And so she takes the kind of risk that both, that Pete was always afraid to take. You know, Gwen took the risk at the end of the previous season, and Liz takes a risk here, and Pete just is too mushy-brained to sort of figure out what he really wants when, you know, any sort of whiff of the feminine sort of takes him in whatever direction that's coming from, I guess. Okay, um... Greg Vashansky, you said that you were upset at, at Liz at the end of the episode. Not so much and upset I, at I, I think it, I just think it's funny how we're it, – and it's because we're looking at it from our own, uh, you know, history, our own perspectives, our own lives, as to which side you, you are uh, compassionate towards. I feel very compassionate towards all three of them. Oh, 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 I, oh I, well, of course you do. Yeah, that's what happens when you have that great big heart. <laughs> now, see, I thought you thought I had a an evil little small flinty heart. <laughs> 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 the, the amount of love that was in that statement is <laughs> pretty. I'm trying to make you sound good on the podcast, okay? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just stop. We all know the truth. Don't edit, edit that flinty line out then, right? <laughs> <laughs> no way. <laughs> Greg edits, but he doesn't edit that hard. Come on. <laughs> Let's see. There, there's just so much going on in this episode. I mean, there's a... Okay, this ties into another podcast we do, but we, we've talked about how you reach for obscure characters in Spider-Man history. The two FBI agents, that's as obscure as you get. <laughs> Zach knows way more about them than I do. But <laughs> All right, so I'll, I'll take that for a second. If you don't know who the two FBI agents are, they were in the Scarlet Spider issues that uh, it was actually Virtual Mortality and uh, Cyber War was the two stories that they were in. Actually, three, I'm sorry. And, uh, yeah, so when Greg was going for obscure, he, he really went obscure. Now, it, funnily, funny enough, it ties into our other podcast, I'm, I'm Spidey Dude. But, yeah, yeah, uh, Joe Wade was the second Scarlet Spider. Well, I mean, 
basically what it comes down to is we made a decision at the beginning of season one that um, we weren't going to have any named characters that weren't from somewhere in the Spider-Man universe, um, which after, I mean, even back then, what was it, 40 years or something, you know, there's almost no corner you could look in where you can't find someone to fill that role. So it's like, oh, we need a couple FBI agents. Well, so yeah, sure, I could make up a couple names, but why is that any fun, you know? Um, it's way more fun to sort of dive into uh, the 40-year history of, you know, now going on, what, 60? Uh and just say, all right, well, here are two FBI agents. Let's use them. And you never know. That might, you know, I mean, we didn't have a third season. But um, the more you use from the Spider-Man universe, the more stories you potentially get out of it. You know, if you just make up some guy, then the odds are you're never going to see that guy again um, or, or gal, you know. But if you pull from the actual comics, then, you know, maybe the stories that those characters were in will start to come in later, they'll start to pay off more. Um, you know, using more bench as the demolitions expert at the beginning was very uh, calculated because we definitely did have a plan to do Hydro Man, which is the villain that Morris bench becomes um, in season three. Uh, had a whole plan for Hydro Man and Sandman and um, all sorts of stuff. And so, you know, we were just setting things up, sometimes with a clear idea, like for Morris Bench, and sometimes with, well, I don't know what I'm going to do with Stephanie Briggs exactly, but I'm more likely to get something out of her than if I just say agent number two, you know. Right. But when I see them, it kind of makes me ask, was it ever hard finding these people, these characters? Because these characters, you had to really dig really, really, really deep to find them. I mean, did you ever have any remember. issues finding people, finding characters? In, in I, I don't remember it being hard, but it has been like a decade, so maybe I'm just forgetting. It all seems easier much later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't remember it being difficult. I mean, A, I have a pretty deep spidey knowledge myself, um, and I have a lot of geek friends, so um, it's not that difficult to just sort of, and you know, there's things like the internet. So. Wait a minute. You know how to use the, the internet now? <laughs> what? When did this happen? A little bit. A little bit. Wow. Jen, what have you been teaching you? So I know amazed. I use Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to 1998. Yay! It's just going to get a couple more decades and we'll be good. By then we'll be teleporting. I got a during Young Justice. I've still got the same one from season one of Young Justice. <laughs> nice. That was like 2009 or something. Nice. Yeah. I also feel I got my first that... cell phone during Spider-Man. I <laughs> remember when you got it. <laughs> Little Nokia thing. Okay. Yeah. Great. I held on to that until it literally fell apart in my hand. It, huh. Yeah, he was not going to let go of it. And then he got a hand-me-down from one of his kids, and he wasn't going to let go of that one either. <laughs> that was my it. Mom, that was the, the Nokia. My, was mom, the 
Did we lose somebody? Hold up. Did we lose somebody? Yeah, Zach said he would be right back. Anyway, my oh. mom has my mom has my Galaxy S4 now. I have an S6. Oh. <laughs> Man, I feel so far ahead. I've got the S8. I got the S8 Plus. Oh, oh, oh. No, he beat me. Nice. But um, while we're but back to the episode. One person who I feel we need to talk about a bit because Tinker wasn't the most important character in the show, and he has not much to do after this. We need to talk about Tom Adcox and how great he was because I feel that Tom performance is pretty underrated on this show, and I thought he was fantastic as a tinkerer. The tinkerer, but he earned the nickname the tinkler, because he had to pause all the time to run to the restroom. (laughs) (laughs) True fact. True fact. I believe it. (laughs) I always thought the name was really odd. Um, I mean, from the comics, but just the whole, the name, I don't know why he wasn't just called the Tinker. For a second, I thought you were talking about Tom. I always thought Tom's name was really odd. I'm an idiot. I'm an idiot. The Tinker Earth. It's like, right. I get it that a person who tinkers is a tinkerer, but the fact of the matter is, is that a tinker tinkers. You know, in other words, that's what a tinker is. And so it was so odd to me that he was the tinker earth. Um, but that was what it was in the comics, so we stuck with it. But Tom is great in the role. It's fun. You know, he's got a nice uh, attitude there. And there's the, the fun scene, uh, which on some level I actually kind of hate, um, which is, hey, we need information, so let's torture this guy. I'm like, what What am I doing? I'm, I am part of the... I'm part of the... I really enjoyed that. I was just like watching it last night thinking how much I enjoyed drawing that. <laughs> it's fun, but it's also like, I'm like, I'm now, I, it's one of these things where I watch it and I go, I'm part of the problem. No. I'm part of that 24 problem that makes people think that torture works, you know. Um, it wasn't actual torture. It was psychological torture. But that's the best kind of torture. Um, yeah that was Spidey's Batman moment oh Batman you were going to be brought up on so many charges at the Geneva convention (laughs) but but no but no that was I like that scene also Greg don't feel ashamed of that one (laughs) and I don't advocate torture at all lies 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 and slander oh wow uh, oh my god. You just stepped into that one. Wrong, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, well, I mean, right into that one. Well, the king of hell is my id. <laughs> the fact um, that you have that as your voicemail on your phone says all that you need to know. <laughs> A deep picture, I mean, come on. Nice. But, um, let's see, um... Kristen, do you have any questions for the panel? As of yet, really, no. I'm getting everything filled in, background information, whatnot. I'm trying very hard not to laugh at every single thing so people can actually be heard. I keep muting myself and nearly choking on my soda every single time. <laughs> yeah, this this time it's a spectacular banter <laughs> podcast. Never. Yeah, it, the main reason we, I love Spidey is for the quips, man. You got to have the quips. <laughs> you yeah, don't have which to is why, that, Which is why I, I liked uh, Garfield and uh, oh, who's the new kid? 
Tom Holland. Tom Holland, Spidey, even better than, than Tobey Maguire's because they could, they could nail both, nail the quips. So, you know, uh, loved the episode, loved, uh, I loved how it was, how it was structured and, and obviously the script uh, was just phenomenal. Um, most of my questions have already been answered. So that's awesome. I think we're all in the same situation. <laughs> but thank you uh, to both of you, to all of you guys, for showing uh, for being on the episode. I mean, I'm a well, Doc fan girl to begin with, so I thoroughly enjoyed all of this, especially the whole Master Planner arc and everything else. It, it's still one of my favorite uh, arcs I've seen on animation, and uh, it just knocks it out of the park. You guys did a phenomenal job. Yeah, and I love the way... And I love the way Ock is introduced in this episode. Even if, I know some people don't, they feel like the mystery wasn't dragged out for who the Master Planner is long enough. But I look back at the original comic and you just turn the page and the mystery was solved. I mean, it was very anticlimactic there. Well, you know, I mean, at some point you, we just decided to go for it, I guess. Um, I, my, I, I mean, one of the moments I really do like is where... Um, the don't sign your work moment from Spidey where it's like, I know it's Dr. Octopus and <laughs> instead of Octopus going, uh, you know, getting all upset about it, he's like, yeah, you're a genius after I've already, <laughs> you, you're spectacularly clever after I revealed it to you all. So, um, <laughs> I was just thinking of that exact moment. I love that moment. Uh, That's when I'm just, the cleverest. Nice. Oh. Ak has another great line near the beginning of the episode where, Electro is confused about what's going on, and Octa says, oh, Electro, so charmingly uncomplicated. That has got to be the most polite way I've heard anyone call somebody an idiot ever. Yeah. <laughs> I need even, to use that in regular conversation at work. <laughs> even as an insult, he, he's still nice about it. Electro's <laughs> such, such a whoopee. He's such a little pouty emo boy. It's so cute. But, but I suppose there is... Yeah, there is one more question I have. Um, why weren't the rest of the Sinister Six in this one? Why didn't Ock involve them for the big takeover of the planet? Uh, were most of them arrested in the previous episode? No, just Mysterio. Oh, just Mysterio? Uh, well, I think he didn't need them. You know, and, and you know, it's not like uh, Sandman or Rhino are going to help him with the technology. Um, he had his team to kidnap Gwen... Um, and then he had, uh, you know, Vulture handling the sort of diversion attack on Homeland Security, which allowed uh, George Stacy to do his part. So, you know, he was keeping it simple, I think. I, I kind of viewed it as uh, they did their job, they were then expendable, you know, so uh, that his also, evil genius... They- they didn't know who the master planner was. Um, you know, oh. this was the circle who actually knows, you know, the ones who you can really count on from a loyalty standpoint. Um, and uh, so that was, I think, also a big part of it, you know. Um, you know, Sandman, Rhino, Craven have their uses, but they're not... Uh, they're not in their circle. Right. And there's one other thing that I noticed for the first time while watching this episode just today, that the uh, coffee shop is at the base of Norman Osborn's apartment building. 
Yeah, the silver spoon. Yeah, I had never noticed that before all these years until today. <laughs> also, the, the manager um, of that coffee house, who is also played by Crispin, is the same guy who uh, tried to take uh, cell phone footage of uh, the Electro um, Spider-Man battle in episode two of season one. Nice detail. Yeah. Nice callback. Nice continuity. Gotta love it. I love I love your thick continuity on these TV shows, no matter how subtle. You do it so well. <laughs> we don't get enough and, continuity uh, these days. And the uh, girl who works in the coffee shop, that was Trina. From the Another very obscure character that calls back to the conversation about the two FBI agents, I guess. Um, is there anything else left to discuss about this particular episode? Anything, Gen- Jennifer, either Jennifer, Greg, anything le- left to point out that we ne- may have neglected to ask? <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, there's a nice touch at the end with the music. Um, you know, uh, we get, have this great score from Dynamic Music Partners, but over the ending credits, usually we're just playing the Spider-Man theme. It was sort of fun to run uh, Old Lang Syne over the end credits. It made, I think, the episode feel a little more... And the I, the icy web and everything was cute. Yeah. So just little touches. That's what we tried to do, is just sort of maximize... It's like what Jennifer did with the... The sign on the coffee pot and the evil genius mug. You know, in other words, what you want to do is give as much bang for your buck in every single moment as you can manage. I want that coffee mug so bad. I was just gonna say I need to like that, that can be your mug for you. Uh, yes, <laughs> Jen, thanks for me make that. You got it. Um, yeah. Right now. Yeah, I love that Ock even has that to begin with. I mean, on the one hand, it's kind of like. He, I don't like villains who admit that they're the bad guys, but on the other hand, it's just so fun and it feels so right for him. <laughs> for, for Doc, yeah, it does. <laughs> well, Doc, yeah. let you guys know. It felt right to the time. <laughs> it did. It got a great laugh when I every time I watch this episode, that coffee mug will will amuse me to know. And I think the uh, that the picture we're going to be used for the for the cover of this episode is Doc Ock with that coffee mug. Oh, it has to be that. Especially yeah, yeah, the it's right it the arm. Yay! Yeah, it's either this or the fan panel. It's going to be it's one of them. We've got it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, that was like the first thing that Greg was like. Yep, nope. We're using the coffee mug image. I'm like, like as if there could not be any other one. Really? <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah, I'm glad that, I'm glad that it is. All right, before before we wrap things up, because I think Greg has to go soon, do um, any of you have any projects you would like to pimp? Other uh, than my Etsy store and stuff, um, you can find me at uh, www.heyassbutt.com. I and love that you've got that URL. <laughs> what? <laughs> I love that that's yours. That's amazing. Hey. HeyAssButt.com. <laughs> of course, it's yours. Of course. Uh, but um, I've got my red bubbles on there and my Etsy store, and uh, Christmas is coming, and I'm making the Castiel Christmas tree angels. So get them while they're hot. <laughs> That's so cool. I'll look into that. 
I've got two of her angels. They're fun products, and apparently Misha Collins fing- stuck his middle finger up my Crowley. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I've never heard you put it that way. <laughs> yes, I have photographic evidence of that. Yes. That's amazing. I actually have a Castiel that hangs on my car <laughs> when I drive to work. you got to have an angel on your shoulder, man. Yeah, especially one that drinks. Nice. Okay. And uh, and uh, Jennifer Anderson, anything else you want to pimp from uh, HeyAssButt.com? Nope, that's that's it. Just go check it out. Hey, AssButt. Okay, and uh, Jennifer Coyle, do you have anything you're working on now that you would like to uh, promote? Well, I've been on DC Superhero Girls for uh, the last two years, and we've got a movie coming out uh, probably in about six months now called The Legend of Atlantis that I think is going to turn out gorgeous. So, yes, please all watch that one. We'll be looking out for that because my daughter's a big fan of DC Superhero Girls. She actually recently dressed up in... She, I made a Supergirl costume ages ago that she's now running around in because of that show. That's something really touching about that is to see all the... um, all the terrific response from little girls. I, I was the girl who grew up always wondering why there weren't any action figures for me. And this is just the first show that they've done, uh, like a concerted action figure set up for all of the characters. So it's really cool. Nice. And Greg, do you have anything you want to promote? Uh, you know, I don't have anything immediate. I mean, I'm always trying to, I guess, promote my books, Reign of the Ghosts and Spirits of Ash and Foam, and the Reign of the Ghosts audio play. Uh, Reign of the Ghosts audio play is now available on uh, Audible, ACX, Amazon, iTunes, uh, and uh, the books are also available on Amazon, um, and the audio books also available on gumroad.com. So there are a lot of ways to get the audio play. Uh, which has a great cast in an unabridged version of Reign of the Ghosts. Um, my uh, World of Warcraft novel, Traveler, is also out, available at bookstores on Amazon or as an audiobook or an ebook. And the second book in that series, The Spiral Path, will be out uh, early next year, February or March. Um, it's done. It's just, you know, in copy edit, proofread, that kind of stuff. Um, and then, of course, there's this little show I'm working on. What's it called? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, Young Justice. So Young Justice should, season three, should be out sometime in 2018. Yay! Excellent. <laughs> Finally! So excited. <laughs> Back from the dead. <laughs> yep. I look forward to immensely, and I just want to thank all of you for coming on the show. Jennifer Coyle, thank you for coming on. Jennifer Anderson, great to have you back on. We've really missed having you on the show. And and um, and and Greg, thank you for constantly doing this and constantly putting up with us. Yeah, we really do. Sure. Appreciate- <laughs> <laughs> well, it's only a chore for Jansky. I mean, we are... <laughs> <laughs> We all know that. It, it's just the technical issues, you know. Oh, I, <laughs> I see what you did there. I see what you did there. 
<laughs> anyway, uh, no, it's always fun. I have a great time. You know, uh, anyone who knows me knows that I uh, love talking about the work to a ridiculous degree. So, um, to the what? Really? People, no. Yeah, so the point where people are saying, okay, shut up now. Um, <laughs> that, that, I can tell you, has never happened. So you know, I don't think you're ever going to hear that from any of us. We're such big fans. Well, well, thanks. I appreciate that. But, you know, <laughs> the time will come. <laughs> we love you, though, man. I remember Thank when you. I first met you, and I'm like, I was really, really quiet because I was fangirling all over human creation. And Greg Mashansky's like, talk to him. Ah, ah, okay. <laughs> he's he's one of the easiest guys to talk to. So, you know, that, that helps, too. You know, he's not very yeah. easy. He's not an intimidating brother. It's, it, it's my height. I'm very intimidating because I'm so tall. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not very tall to begin with, so yeah, that's what it is. Oh, <laughs> uh, wow. <laughs> uh, well. All right, guys. Well, thanks so much. Yes, thank you yeah. for having me. Thank you. Yeah. Pleasure being on. Yeah, we'll, we'll end it on that. No. All right, so, and I would, and I would like to thank all of our listeners for listening to us talk about the episode and banter amongst ourselves. I hope you enjoyed <laughs> it as much as we did, and join us next time for. I'm not going to say next month, but next time for the return <laughs> of Sandman <laughs> and Harry Osborn. <laughs> Whenever uh, we get that on, maybe. <laughs> Thank you.